So good morning, everybody. Like it, it's uh, great to be back and, and sharing a morning with you guys, sharing God's word. Um, it's been something that we know we needed the rest. We know we needed the time away to with all that we were going through, but it doesn't take away the gratitude and satisfaction of being back with you guys this morning. So um, I get the pleasure of sharing God's word with you guys this morning, um, following uh, up Dave from last week, and he took us on a little tour of the whole Bible, and I figured you guys, your fingers are tired and arms are tired a little. We're just going to kind of camp out in Romans this morning. I'm going to give you guys a break. Um, so one of the things, like, when I started thinking about this and thinking about, uh, um, like, a legal contract that he spoke of, a legal document and covenant between us and God, I started thinking about, like, we live in a society that loves law and order and justice and you know how I know that is at any given time you can turn on the TV and there's about 15 different CSIs on the television. Where, where you want to go? L.A., California, New York. And you don't want regular civilian crimes. Let's take it to the military aspect of NCIS. Like There is so much that you can find on the television. It's highly rated each and every day, all of these law shows. And I'm not innocent of that. Uh, um, my guilty pleasures would be like the first 48 or FBI's most wanted. I can get down with all of those. I think Maria is totally happy that Live PD is no longer on, on TV on Friday nights. She don't have to watch that for like three hours or whatever. But um, one of the things I realized in thinking of this, and I, I'm sure we can agree uh, all together, is when we see an actual crime or a, an actual offense that's committed and it's really put out into the media and it's well documented and we're seeing all the evidence of this stuff right before our eyes and then somehow, some way, that person ends up walking scot-free. We've been following this deeply. We've been watching this case and seeing what's going on and, and, and we see the evidence of this murder or this tragedy, whatever it was that happened, and somehow they slip through the grass and they're able to walk away. It drives us nuts. It, it, it angers us. It infuriates us. Um, but we're going to see through the economics of God that kind of the flip side of that story. I've spoken before and mentioned before in some of my past sermons a thing called kingdom economics. And what kingdom economics is, is um, renowned uh, pastor and author Timothy Keller taught on this subject of king kingdom economics. It tongue twists me every time. Where God's economics and what God does is kind of the opposite of what we see and what we deal with, especially here in American life and our everyday life, is the complete opposite, flips everything upside down. So um, I kind of mentioned how annoying it could be to, to see that person that's guilty and they done, committed this crime and we know they committed this crime and they end up walking scot-free. But today, today, in today's text, we're that guilty subject. And by the cross of Christ, we're going to see ourselves walking scot-free. So I'm going to take a drink of this water here. We'll read God's word together. I'll open this up with a short prayer after we read the word. And then we'll kind of dive in, jump down, and start breaking down these scriptures kind of line by line. So if you want to turn to Romans chapter 5, we'll be in verses 15 through 21. Starting in 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace by that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. 
But the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin is increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is God's word. Join me as I pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord, in uh, a place of submission, lost, broken, knowing that we don't have it within ourselves to make ourselves right in your sight, God. But sometimes that sinful nature, that selfishness, that pride, it begins to boil up deep inside of us. God, let your word, let the free gift of Jesus ring true in our hearts today and every day is to follow that we can understand that we are, we are sons, we are adopted as your children because we are justified by your son. Jesus, we thank you. It's because of your sacrifice we are made right, and it's in your name we pray, amen. So I talked about kingdom economics, being, being the opposite of what we see and what we deal with in everyday life. And so a little bit of an example would be like, so... Here we have me, and I decide to go out and, and rain terror upon this, uh, upon our city. I go out and I commit all of these crimes, and I do all of this stuff, and I cause all of this destruction and terror and hurt and pain and sadness, and it's time for somebody to pay the price. But when it's time to pay the price, instead of coming for me, they come for my children, they come for my wife, they come for my family. And it doesn't stop there. It's a generational punishment. So my children's children, my grandchildren, their children, it just keeps going on and on, and, and somebody is left to pay the price over all this time. This is what we see here. So we're going to jump back at 15 and kind of break these down line by line. So in 15 it says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of that grace by the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So the gift of God through Christ's justification, it has this greater but opposite effect than the trespass of Adam. We understood Dave took us last week through the trespass of Adam, the original sin that he committed in the garden, and we have all paid the price of that ever since. Sin entered that world. We are born now in our lives with sin nature. And all of us are paying the price of that one man, Adam. But we can't just fall back and be like, uh, it's Adam's fault. You know, we take, we take a place in this. We, we're held responsible. We make these choices. And we especially make the choice whether to be saved by grace through faith and, and continue to be slaves to that sin. But it says, yeah, in each case, the act of the affected changed the lives of many. So we see the act of Adam, that original sin, changed the lives of everybody. But we also see on the flip side of that, the gift of grace given by God through Jesus Christ overflows to the many. There's that opposite thing. 
We, we know Jesus. We know Jesus to be the Son of God, to step down from the throne of heaven, to be spotless, blameless, righteous, innocent in all he did in life. And then he stepped in and he decided to take our place on the cross. And in doing so, we are made righteous. That flowed over onto the canvas of our lives. It flowed over to, so that we could reap the results of Jesus' sacrifice, just as we've been reaping the punishment of Adam's sin originally. It says we can trade our sin for Jesus' goodness. Jesus offers us the opportunity to be born again into a spiritual family, the family line that, that begins with forgiveness and leads to eternal life. If we do nothing, if we don't make that choice, if, if we don't pursue a relationship with Christ, if we're not called to be saved by faith through grace, we have death reigning through Adam. But if we come to God by faith through Christ, we have eternal life and we move forward from there. Going into 16, it says, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. One of the things I want to key in uh, in this verse is that last word, justification. What is justification? Justification is pretty simple. It's, um, it's, it's an act of God. It doesn't describe the way that God in, inwardly renews or changes our person. That would be sanctification. That would be the, the changing of our lives over time. Justification is the act. It's the legal declaration in which God pardons the sinner and all of his sins and accepts and accounts the sinner as righteousness in his sight. God declares the sinner righteousness, righteous at the very moment that the sinner puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We see that in Romans 3. We see it here in Romans 5. We see it in 2 Corinthians. We see it over and over again through the Bible. It's at that moment that the sinner places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are justified in that moment. And I've heard studies and, and seen different theories and things where, where people think there's justification comes along and then down the road after you uh, begin to change and do so many things, then adoption or sonship comes along. There's no gap between justification and adoption. It's in that moment that you are justified that God looks down on you and says, you are my son. You are my child. There, there's no uh, uh, spread out between this. So it, it's a legal verdict like Dave talked about last week where God, God justifies the sinner solely on the basis of the obedience and death of his son, our representative. We had no hand in it. We had no play in this. Jesus Christ, Christ's perfect obedience and, and full satisfaction for sin are the only ground upon which we are uh made righteous in God's sight. We see that in Romans 5, Galatians 3, Ephesians 1, 7, Philippians, over and over, and especially in Paul's teaching throughout all of the epistles in his church, he, he is reigning this home. It's not by anything that we do that we are justified. It's by the sacrifice of Christ. So that, that, that kind of goes on to pound out the, the thought here that we're not justified by our own works, we're justified solely on Christ's work on our behalf. This righteousness is imputed to the sinner. In other words, the justification, God puts the righteousness of his son onto us, into our account. We've failed. We've overdrawn. We've sinned. We, we've 
We have taken beyond measure selfishly. We, we have pulled and pulled and pulled against this account. And Jesus says not. And, Jesus, and God looks down, sees Jesus' sacrifice and says, you know what, I'm going to take everything from his account and put it in theirs. And we're made right once again. And so when we think about seeing what we see in everyday life of someone who is clearly and blatantly doing wrong and they're being pardoned and set free, it angers us. But it kind of changes the game when we realize in kingdom economics that that's us, that we're the guilty one, that we're the sinner, that we deserve God's wrath, we deserve the punishment. But what were we? We were justified. And then it comes down to the question, so, so how does this justification happen? By, by what means is this justification bestowed onto us? Sinners are justified through faith alone when they confess their trust in Jesus. We're not justified because any of the good works that we've done. We're not justified by uh, how well we tithe or how we treat other people in, in public or the, the good works that we do. Those don't have anything to do with us relieve, receiving our justification. Those come later through the sanctification process, through the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's like Jesus justified us and we can understand and grasp this concept that we are forgiven. And it kind of changes the way we feel. It changes the way we look at the world. And he says, you know what? I'm not just gonna forgive you for these things that you've been done doing. I'm gonna make it feel real good for you to uh, want to live a better life. He doesn't come to us with a set of things that we got to follow and this, this, and this has to happen to receive the justification. He comes to us and says, you are forgiven. And in that forgiveness, it creates a, a renewal of our spirit where uh, the things that we do, treating people right, showing respect, loving our neighbors, those things, they're a byproduct of, of the justification of the forgiveness that we've received. They're not the source. Um, verse 17, Little, let's check that one out. He goes on here to say, for if because of one man's trespass, oh, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Um, by surrendering to sin, Adam allowed the whole human race to succumb to death. Everyone from that point on was... Um, bound for death, eternal death, spiritual death. And the reign of death uh, and the reign of death over creation began because of Adam's sin. The only condition upon these, let's make sure the kid didn't mix the pages up. There's no blaming. I opened the laptop this morning and there was like random letters, the letter G 50 times, and I had to go and edit all of those out. Um, but it says, so the, the condition, the only condition upon these wonderful provisions of grace is that we receive them by faith. That's, a, that's really the only hand we have in anything is putting our faith in Jesus Christ. God's love and Christ's work are for all men and women, but they're appropriated to us by our faith. Um, those things at that point, they begin to reign in our life. They reign in our life through one man, through Jesus Christ. Those who believe in Christ will become rulers reigning in the kingdom of life where there is no death. Like, think about that. What a promise that is to those who love Christ. 
We can reign over sin. We can reign over temptation. Eternal death no longer has power over us. God has overtaken the grave, overtaken the grave and that's been because of Jesus Christ. Um, think about it. this person. It has greatest fulfillment in the future, eternal life. Eternal life in heaven with God. It also has a, kind of a significant immediate impact on our life. Because in Christ, death loses its sting. We're still subject to the physical suffering of death brought by sin of the world. But we're free from the spiritual, eternal separation that we had experienced outside of Christ. Also, in the power and protection of Jesus, we can overcome this temptation. Um, So one of, one of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about in this point is this overcoming of this temptation. We know we have sin nature living deep down inside of us. And yes, by, by no means is this, um, these verses or am I saying that perfection is on the horizon and once we are justified and made right by Christ, everything's going to be glitter and rainbows. It, it doesn't work like that. But we're no longer slaves to, to the grave. We're no longer slaves to temptation and where we have to live our life in fear and dealing with these things. And one of the ways that I've really seen it is, um, you guys know my story, is with my addiction. There was this time where I, I went through life and I tiptoed through every single thing that I had to do because there was this fear of this temptation. It was out there. It, it was lurking like a beast. It was in the background kind of wherever I go. In being justified and being made right by Christ, in, in, in receiving the free gift that, that Paul is talking about here, I have power over that temptation now. Because if you guys haven't noticed, you can't just, I, I can't just go through life in a bubble. I got to walk down the beer aisle. I got to, God has called me to share the gospel with the lost and the broken. And sometimes in doing that, I'm going into some of the dark places. I'm meeting with people, especially in our small and tight-knit community. I'm meeting with people that I've probably been in that dark place with, that I've probably used drugs with. I've probably shared that horrible lifestyle with them. Before, it was get me out of there, get me away, and get me as far back as I can because that temptation ruled my life. Jesus Christ didn't rule my life. My faith in Christ didn't power me. The Holy Spirit wasn't there with me. I was trying to get through it by any means that I could all by myself. But so it's amazing when we think about the things that we deal with and those main sins that we struggle with in our lives to know that in that moment of um, being justified through grace by faith that, uh, that Everything doesn't have to be as scary as it much once was, that we can, we can move forward with faith in Christ and we don't have to go through the day-to-day -day struggles on our own. And I can tell you in my life and in my journey, um, some of those big, horrible sins that have been there, I, I've plucked those out of the ground, I've pulled those up by the roots, but man, there's some other little ones that I didn't even realize were there and wasn't really focused on because I had that, that gigantic thing taking up all of my uh, uh, vision and focus. Now with that out of the way, I could see, man, you're kind of a jerk sometimes on a different level. Like, <laughs> and I was like, I, I just didn't think about that before. I just thought I was, you know, uh, uh, some junkie or whatever, but 
Going on to 18. Let's move to there, Lizzie. It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Yeah, we're going to do both of them. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So right here we have Paul making the same statement, but kind of in two different uh, uh, ways of saying it and two different things going on here. But one of the things I want us to notice in this is for, it says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, and then in the second one, it says, for as one man's disobedience, we're made, um, we were made sinners. So what we see here is the word trespass in the first verse, it's, it's describing, um, excuse me, Adam's specific act of the sin, his, his, um, the, the initial biting of the apple. That, that, that was the trespass there. While in the second verse, we see his disobedient. That's not so much the act as his intent. It kind of helps to separate that a little when we see the first one is the actual act of doing it. The second one was his intent of, um, yeah, you know what? Maybe I can have all the thing God, God has. Maybe I, it, it wasn't just biting an apple because he was hungry or starving. There was an intent of disobedience behind it where he's like, you know what? Maybe I can be as smart as God. Maybe I can rule over this thing on my own. Maybe the serpent's right. I don't need him in all of this. But again, in contrast here, by the act of the righteousness is called Christ's obedience. And Adam's response to temptation, what we see in Adam's response was, my will be done. And on the contrast, on the flip side of that, what we see in Christ's act is, thy will be done. Let's go to 20 and 21. Now the law came into now the law came into increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we jump back into the context of these verses, into the context of Paul writing this to the church in Rome, this statement, now the law came to increase the trespass. That's definitely not what his Jewish readers wanted to read when they read this. They lived by the law. The law was elevated above everything. So to read this statement that the law came to increase the trespass but was ineffective for gaining salvation it was a rattler. I'm sure it, it, it knocked them for a loop, knocked them off their chair. But now he says, rather than being the antidote for sin, it actually increases the sin. So wait a minute. So wait a minute. Sin came into the world and there's all this time. And then uh, we got Moses and he comes down with the Ten Commandments and we got the, the Mosaic laws set and, and the Jews have been living by this thing all the time saying that these are the things that you got to do and you will You'll be making yourself right in the sin of God. And now all of a sudden they're being told it actually makes your sin worse. It exposes it on a deeper level. Paul 
Paul's winding up this argument. He's kind of bringing it to a wrap right here, what he's been uh, kind of heading towards through the first five chapters of this letter is that the purpose of the law for his own people, the Jews, had been made to make them aware of their need for salvation, not to bring them salvation. Thus their trespass was increased, sin was present from Adam, but giving the law was like having a huge spotlight turned in on themselves. It was like this huge flashlight illuminating all the things of their lives where they can really see the sinfulness of the people and it became more defined. Um, and that's kind of one of, the, one of the beautiful things of kingdom economics. As I was mentioned, we're the ones that deserve the full wrath of God. We should be standing there ready to receive the wrath. And so... Um, Without Christ, we know this, without Christ, there's, there's no escaping the wrath of God. There's no uh, facing this eternal punishment. But when we think of the flip side of it and how everything is upside down from what we experience and what we deal with in life, in our legal system, in our justice system here that we deal with in, in our state and in our country, there's this thing called an expungement process. It's where you are charged with a crime, you're convicted of this crime, and now this crime, whatever it may be, has been placed onto your permanent record. Anytime anybody runs a background check on you for a job, for some, some type of uh, a position, we run them here for kids' church and different things. Anytime that a background check is ran on you, you have this blemish, you have this mark, you have this conviction, this thing that you've done. And the justice system, it likes to tell us, you know what? I know that's there, and I know it's lingering over your head, but there's a way that you can have that removed. There's a way that you can have that expunged from your record. You're like, whoa, cool, tell me more about this. And so they come to you with some big legal terms. It's usually your attorney, and it comes to you with, uh, with a document, stack of paperwork, however thick, depends on how much trouble you got in, I guess. But... They come to you and they say, all right, here's a list of things that you must do and accomplish to have this removed or expunged from your record. You must serve this much time in jail. You must complete your probation successfully. You must do whatever type of treatment and things they tell you they want you to do. You must do this and you must pay that. You must pay this obligation, this fee, that fine. And there's a list of all of these things that you gotta do before your record can be cleaned. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't come to us in our trespasses with a list of 14 things where if you do this, 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 and this, then you'll be at the second half and you can do this, 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 and this, and then you'll be justified, and then you'll be made right, and then you will be righteous again in the sight of God. Then you'll be my brother then you will be his son. He comes to you with one simple statement. I paid it all for you with my blood. I paid every debt, every past, present, and future debt for you with my blood. I paid your bill once and for all. I've taken your place in front of the judge, the jury, and the executioner. He doesn't come to us with this list of the things we gotta do. He comes to us with his open arms 
He comes to us with open arms, sweeps us up in our justification, loves us and said, you are my brethren and he is our father. You guys hear me when I say this. The law creates a space between us and God. When we go through and we reread the thou shalt and thou shalt not, without a strong understanding of the gospel, without a strong understanding of the justifying work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we're going to run from him, not to him. But those who understand this thing, those who understand the gospel and what the justification of Christ means, when we fall, we're going to get back up. We're going to run to the cross, not from him. Um, so, so what I kind of wanted to do here for a second, because um, I'm pretty sure none of you guys in here are, are Orthodox Jews and you're practicing all of the uh, Jewish religion and following the Mosaic law down to a T. So I wanted to switch a word out in there for you for a moment. I wanted to switch out the word law and replace it with religion. We live, in a, we live in a beautiful country where there's many different religions and things that we can go to, uh, to, to fellowship with other believers. But there's times where you can end up in a place that might not be that healthy. If, if you find yourself in a, a church or, or some type of um, gathering of believers and they're teaching Jesus plus something, Jesus and this, this, and this will make you right in the sight of God. It should be a red flag to us. It's never Jesus plus anything. Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on that cross by itself is all that we ever needed. And it's through that that we are justified. And justification will lead to a process called sanctification. I, I urge you guys to study that. that. That's the act of being sanctified or made holy again. And that's not something that we can do without being justified. That's through the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives where we don't want to do the things that we've continually done. We're plucking those roots and those weeds that I was talking about. And we are slowly but surely through the love and the power of Christ putting our lives in better places, becoming better people loving our neighbors, praying for our enemies, doing all these things. Jesus plus something is nothing more than a stumbling block setting us up to fail because there are nothing that we could ever do to add to the, to the might and the power that God displayed on the cross that day. Jesus plus us trying something is only gonna cheapen it, diminish it, and bring it down and, and try and take away from the power. Um, kind of what I mean is some, some forms of organized religions, they have th this set of practices set aside where the, the, the members of the, the church or religion have to follow these set of steps. And in doing so, in following all of these things laid before them, it's supposed to tilt the scales in our favor so that we look better in the sight of cross, in the sight of God. Um, in doing that, they should be like the law and, and like what Christ is, or what Paul is talking about here through Christ's justification. The, this set of things that are supposed to be tilting the scales in our favor should actually be illuminating our need for Christ even more as it was done in this thing here. Um, one of the things that uh, really make you think about it is, is the law or the practices, the Ten Commandments, these things in the Bible that, are, that we can see and read, 
They're merely a diagnosis of our sin. They're not the antidote. They're not the cure. We can't do these things and put ourselves in a better position in our lives. Um, kind of a, a, a small example of this is um, we brought the baby home from the hospital, and he had to be on oxygen when we brought him home. And that required a couple of things. It required him hooked up to the home oxygen thing and the line running into his nose. And then it also um, required a oxygen wrapped onto his foot and taped to his foot. Now this oxygen monitor on his foot, it was there to let us know if he's not getting enough air, if he's not breathing right. And it had the most obnoxious beep you've ever heard in your life, especially at three in the morning or whatever. But that monitor taped to his foot, all it did was illuminate the, the, to us or alert us to the fact that there was a problem, that he wasn't getting air. We couldn't just put another monitor on his foot. We couldn't just use the monitor of itself and say, okay, he's short on air. It took the other line. It took the other hose. The law is the monitor. The oxygen is Jesus. That's what we need. That's who we need to, to be able to um, work past our sins, to see our need for a Savior. Um, one of the things that I, is often illuminated to me and I see uh, uh, in um, pastoring you guys in um, sharing the gospel with my friends and those around me is you really see how well somebody grasps and understands the concept of justification and, and the gospel when they struggle, when, when, a, when a full on face plant comes along, move along just fine in life and boom, you hit the ground. It's what happens after that that really shows how we grasp and understand justification in the gospel. When that face plant happens, do we get up and run to the cross? Do we kind of fade back into the shadows? We kind of disappear for a little while. Um, and, and that's just something that, that I see and that I notice, and it's not some superpower laid upon us as pastors or anything. It's simply a gauge for you to judge your friends, to judge the people that you're closest to, that God may, pl may have placed in your life that you may be sharing the gospel with. When you see them struggle and you see them fall and you see them start to fade back, that may be a, uh, an indication of, I don't really think they're grasping the concept of the gospel. And it gives you that opportunity to share all the more, to, to go to God's word and guide them and teach them in that thing. Um, and with ourselves as well, I guess, on that matter, is really when, when we fall, when we stumble, what, what is our reaction? What does our do? That, that'll kind of illuminate and, and show us how well we understand and gauge the gospel. So one of the things I had there is the true measure of our understanding of the gospel is where we run in times of struggle. Running to the cross of Christ in the midst of our sh struggle shows we grasp the concept of justification. On the opposite hand, we show that we have a skewed interpretation of the gospel when we struggle and disappear for a while, when we feel that we have to put ourselves all back together before we can come back to the cross of Christ. So ask yourself that. As you, as you leave here today, Think about your most recent face plant. Think about your most recent struggles. And then think right past that. Think about your first reaction, your first response to those things. 
And it'll kind of tell you if you're, if you're understanding the concept of justification by grace through faith, and you know that you can run to the arms of your loving Father. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, God, as lowly, broken, struggling individuals, failing you on a daily basis. And knowing that, knowing what we had in store, and knowing our reactions, and knowing our selfishness, Jesus said, no, not them, God, me. Jesus, we thank you. You took our place. You took a punishment that each and every one of us could have only handled a fraction of. Your body on the cross, broken, bloodied. Thank you for your sacrifice. It's in your beautiful name.